This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we'll be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With My Path Takes Me Strange Places, we talk about the district of Saturnine that most Vizlay call home, Fartown. Join us on the path of suns and we may uncover a secret or two. When we cast My Path Takes Me Strange Places, we discuss the setting of Invisible Sun. We're still in the city of Saturn this time, but we're going to take a trip into one of the most important districts, the district of Fartown. So, Fartown is the district in Saturn that most Vizle call home. And this is an interesting district because... It is in Saturn, but it is separate from Saturn, much more so than any other district, which I guess exists sort of like small islands of civilization uh, between the ruined wasteland that the war has left the city in. Uh, so this place is actually uh, separated from Saturn by this uh, perimeter called the Bleed. And the Bleed is this strange fading of space and time into an unknown elsewhere that keeps everything in Fartown within Fartown and everything outside of Fartown outside of Fartown. There is access into Fartown through a gate. Uh, there is a gate in the hollows, which is another district in Saturn that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, but there is a gate there that allows access in and out of Fartown. Uh, however, it should be noted that passage through the gate is monitored in some way. Um, I, I don't know exactly the details of how it's being monitored, but uh, it's just important to know that uh, it's probably being recorded and noted by the Angular Serpentine, uh, an entity that we'll probably talk about at some point. So... Uh, Fartown, this is an important place, uh, especially for session zero to be familiar with, because this is where most of your Vizlay are going to be, uh, setting their neighborhoods up. It, it's not super restrictive in that everybody needs to live within Fartown, but the default is this is where your characters are going to be. Uh, Scott, do you have anybody that, uh, was not in Fartown when you were setting up neighborhoods? When we have been setting up neighborhoods, it was early enough in the process that we didn't have geography of Saturnine material. Mm -hmm. But I think there was a presumption that the players were relatively close to each other. And as a result, the space was would have been entirely consistent to sort of drop into Fartown. Yeah, and that's that's been the case for most of the characters that we've put together. However, we had one character in the campaign that I'm running now uh, whose neighborhood initially started out as sure this is just another part of Fartown, but as we discussed it more and more it felt more like this character would be set up in the marquee district uh especially once we said hey the pale embassy is in your neighborhood and one of the dead emissaries uh is one of your neighbors 
So Fartown isn't always required, but this is generally where you're going to be uh, when you're talking about uh, visiting neighborhoods. It's also a place where there are a number of notable locations that are most likely to attract player interest. So the uh, it'll be convenient to place a, uh, a session or even most of a campaign in Fartown because there's so many uh, options and such a density of interesting geography and places that uh, you wouldn't have to necessarily travel very far from it. Uh, do you want to talk about one of these points of interest? Sure. So, so one that has uh, come up in a lot of our first sessions uh, for a variety of reasons is the the Vancian campus. This is this is one I haven't touched on yet. So, what's what's up with the Vancian campus? Well, recall that the order of Vances is a very scholastic or kind of academically oriented order of magic. They think of magic as being something that is learned and studied. That uh, they prioritize the development of new spells and the development of new knowledge and the sharing of those spells and knowledge. So it is very much built like a college. Uh, As a result, there is an actual campus for the College of the Order of Ances, and that campus is in Fartown. So you'd expect the the laboratories of the Vancean mages, as well as the locations where they teach classes, uh, to be in Fartown on this, this particular campus. Uh, and going along with the orders having buildings set up in Fartown, there's also the Goetic Hall of Records, which is just across the, I guess, the way from Fart or from the Vancian campus. Um, and the Hall of Records has come up a few times in uh, both the Gen Con one shots that I've run, and also at the table we've had uh, people referring to the Hall of Records in order to find information either about entities or demons uh, or trying to track down uh, Visley in their order who might be able to help them uh, uncover some knowledge that they're looking for. Uh, so this is another order building that exists within Fartown that is, is a good one to pull in and use when you have uh, information that needs to be uncovered or characters that would make sense to drop in uh, at an order building. It's really a multi-purpose location because it, it, it serves as an opportunity to research anything from material that a, a player goetic needs to particular threats that may have presented themselves to players, even if the party includes no goetics. It's uh, just a, a good location to have around because it can be used to serve so many purposes in your stories. And visually being uh, curious and, you know, uh, they tend to show up in places where knowledge is accumulated. I, I've been able to drop in NPCs at the Hall of Records uh, just to have them be around for the characters to run into. Uh, and there are also some other places where you can find knowledge in Fartown. We've got uh, Grin's Grammar Year. Uh, how would you pronounce that? Grammar? I think it's just something yeah. you say quickly and with such indistinct accent that no one can really say what it is that you were you were pronouncing because it's a fake made up name with a fake made up pronunciation. Yeah. And uh, I guess since we're talking about it and trying to figure out how to pronounce it, we've broken that, uh, broken that illusion. Uh, <laughs> but this is a, a library of filled with chained books. And the interesting part about this library is this is a place that you can go to uh, learn 
near uh, a majority of the general spells that are available in the game uh, up to level eight. So one of the things that I've noticed or one of the things that I've been trying to keep in mind with uh, the campaign that I'm running is I want character advancement and the accrual accrual of knowledge to be something that is more than just something that happens in between sessions and my characters spent experience points and now they're better. Like, I want to know how they got this knowledge. I want to know how they tracked it down. I want them to be searching for it rather than just digging through the rules and saying, this is a general spell that's of interest to me. And now I know it because I had the acumen. Uh, So this is going to be one of those places that I'm going to make sure to drop into my campaign to say, hey, if you're looking for magic, if you're looking to research spells, there are places like this that you can go and dig this knowledge up. So here's your narrative justification for how you have learned this sort of magic. Uh, And Grins also, uh, it has a monetary cost associated with being able to study there at the low, low price of just one crystal per day. Uh, And I believe that researching spells generally takes one day per level of the spell. So it's a pretty, pretty straight translation of crystal orbs to, you know, spell level. It's interesting that uh, you mentioned sort of wanting to introduce more uh, in the narrative about learning spells. And this is something that I've kind of gone back and forth on over my long period of time playing other rpgs mm-hmm. uh, i were you know in earlier early editions uh maybe first edition ad and d if i remember correctly the way we tended to interpret the rules is that you found spells when you found spells and so if you went up a level and you, that did not mean necessarily you got fireball uh, or whatever it is right. you wanted uh, you had to go find those spells uh, later or more recent editions have encoded rules that said something like when you go up a level you at least get to choose one spell uh, or you get to choose whatever spells you want and they seem to have de-emphasized that research uh, component and relying on the story to provide new spells Uh, and so in some ways I, i like this approach of going back to making the acquisition of particular spells part of the story and not only is it allowed within the rules for invisible sun it's encouraged especially for advances Vance's uh, get, I believe it's a joy from learning a spell from the creator of that spell. Mm-hmm. Uh, furthermore, advancing in the order of Vance's requires that one develop new spells. So there are various points in the, the mechanics of, of characters and orders uh, that imply that you, sh- you shouldn't just treat spells like you would um, something you're, you're, you're just going to pick up at the corner store or that you just spontaneously discover because you went up a level and darn it, you want fireball. Uh, but instead, spells are a part of the world uh, that you should seek out and integrate into your stories about how you acquire them. What's the cost of acquiring them? What experiences do you have around acquiring them that might flavor your memory of that particular spell? So I like having that brought back into the, the kind of the magic system uh, from my, my earlier experiences with with uh, fantasy RPGs. Yeah, and uh, Grins is going to be a place where I'll be able to drop some of the spells that my characters are going to be interested in so that if there's a general spell that they want that isn't that doesn't feel super important to where the story of the game is going, I can at least say, 
this sounds like something you could find at Grins. Why don't you spend some time there, spend the acumen and the money, and there, there's your reason for knowing this spell. Uh, but there are other spells out there that I think are more important than just being able to find them in the the back of this location. Um, and we'll we'll talk about that at some point when we start talking about you know walking the path of suns, uh, which I think has a little more weight than just being able to cast chromatic orb or whatever it is. Um, let's see. There's another location that I want to touch on here, which would be the castle of the lie. Uh, this is a pretty interesting location. Uh, what it reads like is that it's a museum that's been erected in Fartown as a memorial to Shadow. Uh, so there's all sorts of artifacts and other things that uh, remind the Visley of their time in Shadow. And it's been rumored that the, the number of uh, people who get pulled back into Shadow uh, has in well, it's increased in proximity to this castle. I hear you breathing. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have quite. As, I didn't have quite as much of a connection to that particular location, so I'm trying to figure out what to add. Uh, other than that, this is an interesting opportunity to connect your story to the shadow more, especially if you want to explore themes related to your characters' development out of the shadow and what their ties are to the shadow and what they how what they've learned from their experience in the shadow yeah um and we don't have to dig into it too much uh do you want do you want to talk about zeros uh we have talked we this is a place we've mentioned many times it's uh, there are advertisements for it in the black cube it's a fairly prominent part of the game but we've got this uh, the zeros bar in far town yeah and it has nearly a page and a half dedicated to it so it, it is important compared to everything else in far town which is not as long. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it, the amount of time spent on different locations is somewhat interesting just based upon uh, undoubtedly the interest of the writer and all of those sorts of things. Uh, yeah. But it's a, a demon that became a bar? Uh, essentially. Uh, that's one of the rumors that, yeah, it's a demon that became a bar because uh, some suspect that the demon zero gained a soul and decided that it was time to mixed drinks um but i think the the big draw for me for zeros is that this is a place where visley are going to congregate and hang out so this is a place where you can drop npcs in uh that the characters are interested in finding and meeting up with and talking to it has certainly had a, a fascination from uh, many of the players in the games that I have played. Uh, Zeros is one of the places that comes up most often when people are saying, here are the places I want to visit. Uh, and it was a starting point for the uh, Truth Bleeds at Twilight uh, uh, actual play, in part because it's such a convenient place to kind of gather people around. And you know more about Zeros than I do. I, I have not used it yet. And none of my players have been have even talked about it. I can't say that I've dug in very deep. But essentially the same thing that I was saying. It's a place where you can just drop Visley and NPCs and see what happens. There is a fine tradition of having a bar or pub or inn uh, where players and adventurers happen to uh, congregate as a basis for starting particular stories. Zeros can serve that purpose, uh, but it doesn't have to. There's other ways. You don't have to use that trope. But if you want to use that trope, it's available for you at Zeros. Sure is. And speaking of interesting people, why don't we talk about 
some of the neighbors that you're going to have in Fartown that you can pull from directly from the book. Uh, the first one in this list is, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about them. Uh, there's Charles Abernathy. He's a third degree goetic. And the thing I like about this guy is, uh, as written, he's charismatic and appealing. And I'm, I was thinking about this as I was putting together the notes. A lot of this is in the GM section of the books. So we're going to try and keep this, I guess, friendly for players so that we don't give away, like, you know, if Charles Abernathy has a deep, dark secret, we're not going to talk about it. Sound good? Uh, that, that seems fair. Cool. Um, so this is a uh, charismatic and appealing third degree goetic. Uh, and he takes an interest in Visley who have recently left Shadow, which coincidentally is probably going to be the Visley characters that your players have created. It's a person that the, your party will naturally come into contact with in Fartown unless you kind of choose for them not to. Uh, it's a good default NPC. Yes. Uh, another NPC that's going to be of interest to, well, one of my characters that I can think of off the top of my head uh, would be Enridima, which uh, she is an expert on ghosts and the dead. We haven't talked about the dead yet, but um, ghosts and spirits uh, and wraiths are a thing that exist in, uh, in the actuality. Uh, the dead are specifically people who have been given... Uh, permission from the pale to return to the indigo sun and live there or i guess be dead there um we'll we'll talk about <laughs> the dead at some point cuz that's an interesting that's an interesting uh, faction to talk about i think uh so enredima is uh she seems like she's all theatrics but she actually is an expert in in her field uh, so if you're looking for spells, information, and ephemera uh, related to the dead and the undead and spirits, she's she's one that you're going to want, want to talk to. Yeah, I just wanted to add, as we kind of talk about some of these, and just we're only going to mention a few of those that are actually in, in the book, mm -hmm. uh, it's useful to remember that this, this is basically what supplements are going to look like, I suspect, for the most part. Uh, there hasn't been an announced like campaign arc in the form of Dark Spiral or Devil's Spine or things like that for Invisible Sun. Instead, you've got the directed campaign, and it is not scripted as Encounter 1, Encounter 2, Encounter 3. What we're going to see a lot of, though, both in the directed campaign and in the future books, I strongly suspect, are going to be write-ups of NPCs like this. They would rather spend the the column inches of their books saying, hey, there's this great uh, character you might want to use in Redeema. And here's some hooks as to uh, how the character uh, behaves, how your players may interact with her, uh, what her particular specialty is, uh, why players might want to interact with her, and then maybe some secrets or something along those lines that you might be able to, to weave into your particular story. But I think a lot of the game and the setting will be communicated through these sorts of write-ups that you'll notice are conspicuously light on uh, like stats blocks and mm -hmm. uh, those sorts of things. Cause the book, the game is designed not to need those, but to instead uh, rely upon narrative descriptions of the, of the neighbors, the NPCs and the like that they, they might say, you know, a lot of people can write up stat blocks, but what's really interesting and, and what's, uh, what people really need help with often are a bunch of fascinating NPCs. 
uh, or locations. And so this discussion is more like what we're going to see in this, the was it streets of the silent city. Uh, the silent streets of Saturn. Silent streets of Saturn. Yeah, the, the, the Saturn book. Uh, fix it in post. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm that dedicated, but it includes the word silent and streets. Uh, and you know that book is coming up. Books on uh, other than the bestiary, I think you're going to see a lot of attention to issues like lists and lists of NPCs with interesting hooks, because they think that is what people need most and want most, uh, and that you can put directly into your game uh, rather than you know much longer write-ups on particular uh, uh, one-use sort of monsters or things like that. Again, bestiary being accepted. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, do you want to grab one of these NPCs and wrap this segment up? Sure. So let's see. Um, uh, Fartown is a location that has a diverse group of people. It's not just Vizlay running around. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have also uh, Zillit uh, with a talent in sculpture named Soman. Uh, do you want to explain what a, a Zillit is? Yeah, I was going to say I, I didn't look it up, but I'm pretty sure I know what a Zillit is. I wonder if we're both going to guess for the same thing. Oh, did you ask me to define it? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so Zillit, I believe, is somebody, it's not a Vizlay, but it is somebody who has uh, a very focused magical aptitude. Uh, and in this case, Soman has a talent that helps her with her sculptures. And I that's, that's exactly what I thought a Zillit was. So I'm glad we're on the same page. Uh, Zillits are typically NPCs because they have these ill-defined uh, abilities, but narrowly focused. Things that you might not want to write up a whole character. You, you wouldn't have a whole character with only that ability, but having an NPC with that level of focus can be narratively useful. This, Soman is a good example of this, uh, that Soman uh, basically uh, makes sculptures uh, and likes to hide secrets within her work. So her magic is entirely built around sculpture. And the ability to create fantastical, maybe even uh, unrealistic sculptures. Uh, and and the, the notion of a zealot is uh, allows that sort of focus. So it just sort of it makes sense that people would be that focused and not necessarily be a member of an order. They wouldn't have the diverse set of skills that a Visley would have like a player character. Uh, this is sort of a stereotypical NPC, much narrower focus, uh, much more limited write-up, but they can serve a particular purpose in your story. Mm-hmm. Soman, being a uh, a sculptor who hides secrets within her work, could be used in a variety of ways. But you don't have to worry about spending half a column talking about what order Simon is in, uh, uh, Soman is in, uh, what her spell list would look like, uh, what secrets she has, or any along those things. You just say, "Oh, she's a zealot. She's really good at one particular set of things, and that particular set of things is making sculptures with secrets in them." Uh, before we wrap this up, I just want to say that Soman's Soman's little text block is interesting because it reflects it reflects a different reality. Just a little hook there for people to go uh, read into the book, and I, I don't recall that, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go look that up myself. I'll I'll let you know once we're done recording. <laughs> uh, excellent. Uh, I think we, we could probably do another one of these. So we've had uh, a couple. Uh, we, have an, we have an expert and a zealot. We had a Vizlay. Well, let's talk about Nathan Navimral. Absolutely. So who is Nathan Navimral? 
or Navimral. Navrimal. Navramal. I think Navramal is the easiest way to say it. Uh, Nathan Navatin. Jeez. That's what you get for saying it's easy. Yeah, Nathan Navramal is, he's a Vizlay. Uh, he's intelligent. Uh, he's knowledgeable. And my favorite thing about him is that he doesn't have a lot of friends because he's known for his eavesdropping. Uh, and uh, people don't like him because he'll butt into conversations and say, well, actually. Um, so <laughs> when I'm looking for an NPC to antagonize certain players in my group in order to get uh, a specific reaction out of them, this would be one of my go-tos. Somebody who is obnoxious yet knowledgeable. Um, this this is a great NPC for for you know some of my purposes. What I like about all the NPCs listed, and including those that we've discussed, is that they are, for lack of a better term, actionable. They, it's very clear how you could drop them into a story or use them uh, and pull them straight out of the book whenever you need you need them. So if you are, uh, if if the players are having some sort of conversation and you really want to move the conversation in a different direction, you've got Nathan Navramal. Uh, if they are talking about something that may be uh, that that someone from uh, the pale might have information on, then you've got Enremidia. Uh, Enremidia. Jeez. Yes. Enremidia. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have just have like a uh, an episode where all we do is go through pronunciations. Sure, uh, and several different options for each one, uh, but so it's, it's just a toolkit of different NPCs you can pull for different purposes. And I, and like I said, I think that's a design goal uh, of the game and the books is that they want to have a lot of options in the toolkit in the form of NPCs that you can slide in, rather than having a uh, a script of encounter one, encounter two, encounter three. Instead, taking a walk around Fartown, and then uh, when the conversation lags uh, or you're not quite sure where you're going in the story, here's a set of NPCs you can sort of throw into the the story to to move things in, in a new direction. Uh, and the the write ups serve that purpose very well without taking up a lot of space. Yeah, and I think in future segments uh, that we do for this one, uh, future uses of this segment, I think we're probably going to focus on a few of the points of interest, a few of the neighbors, talk about how we might use them or how we did use them, because uh, I think that's going to be most useful for me, because uh, that's how I've been going through and, you know, reading these books. Like, how am I going to use this? How am I going to talk about this on the show? And hearing how other people intend to use NPCs can be quite valuable to opening your mind as to different options. Uh, and you might see things in a, in a different way because people come to the text with in, intentions towards different stories. Yep. Uh, so a conversation about uses of NPCs and locations, I think, would be valuable for a lot of listeners. Yeah. So we'll, we'll work on this segment and uh, continue to hone it until we both enjoy what we're doing with it. With it. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is the intellectual property of Monty Cook Games. You can find a link to their website in the show notes. You can find our blog at incantationspodcast.blogspot.com or email us at incantationspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me 
at Agonseer, that's at A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. So please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes uh, or whichever uh, podcast app you are using. Uh, it really helps us out. Uh, we also like seeing ratings and reviews, whether they're good or bad. Uh, or else just tell a friend about the show. That's another great way to get the word out and ha help people find us. <laughs>